Good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here this morning. Good morning to many of you watching or listening online. We're so glad that you're with us this morning, too. Uh, if you've got a Bible this morning, we'd love you to turn to Matthew 6. We'll be diving back uh, there in a few minutes. Uh, tomorrow, I'm leaving on vacation with my family for a little while. Very excited. And uh, I was going through what all of us go through before we go on vacation this week. I feel like I need a strategic plan just to get my children outside of the door uh, let alone a minivan full of stuff just to move the amount of children, a seven and five and, and three-year-old. And then, of course, we have the airport tomorrow, and we just know we're going to be blessed by so many people that love our children on the plane. We're just so excited about that, that everyone's going to love us and treat us with such respect. Everyone's going to remember they were kids one time, too. No, they're not. Um, and, and then we're going to take this flight. You know, I was thinking, though, as we get on vacation, I don't know if you've been on one late, recently, but three days, seven days, ten days, whatever it is, twelve days, when we go down there, there's a moment during a vacation where you suddenly realize you're relaxing. Do you know what I'm talking about? You, you've been doing the thing, and suddenly after a day or two days or four days like me, suddenly you suddenly go, oh, I'm actually relaxing. At that moment, most of us begin to worry. Think about it. We go, we know this vacation is ending. We know it's coming to an end, so I need to work really hard to make sure I'm relaxing right now. Because if I don't relax, then this vacation isn't going to work out. So relax, 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 relax. And what are you doing? You're worrying. Your anxiety is going up because you're not relaxing enough because you know you need to relax because the vacation's coming to an end and suddenly your rest is stolen. Our vacations are ripped apart by worry because they're coming to an end. And many of us actually cannot settle down because we know they're coming to an end. So during the vacation, we worry that we're not resting enough. So the worry steals the reason why you went. I want you to catch this, and I want you to hold this close to your heart this morning. Because this is actually what Jesus is going to speak to our whole community about today. And Jesus says that this intensity of worry is a plague on our house. And actually, it's a cancer in our society. Jesus is about to say, do not worry. Now, I need to say right up front that last week's message and this week's message are tied together. You have to hear last week's message to understand this week's message fully. They need to be heard together, understood together, and learned together. See, Jesus' words for us today come from the same thought, the same invitation to freedom, and the same invitation to real, eternal, lasting legacy. Last week, Jesus said, C4, I want to talk to you about treasure. Do you remember? Let's talk about things, he said. Let's talk about your money. Remember, Jesus addressed our love and our longing and our loyalty. He chose three metaphors, three images to expose where our real devotion is, where our allegiance is found, where our confidence is placed in, where we depend on things. Now, Jesus says that our kingdom loyalty is always worked out, not just in words alone, though important, but they are always tested is true or false, progressing or regressing in the areas of sex, power, relationships, and money. 
Here's a summary of what Jesus said last week. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. No, no. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that is where your heart is also, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, we found out last week that anything that's down here, can become an earthly treasure or a heavenly treasure, depending on why we do it, how we hold on to it, and how we use it. It's not just about money. It's everything. Money, things, wealth, people in your life, job, kids, family, a collection, a talent, a memory, this life, nature, art. All these things... All the things we treasure, Jesus says, all the things we've accomplished, all the titles or jobs or relationships you have, all the good and bad experiences, they all actually are going to fade away. You're going to leave your family, and they're going to leave you. You're going to leave your house and your money and this world and beauty and art and friendship and social media, your accomplishments, good things, great things, bad things, they all will eventually leave in some form. So like I said last week, our world says, well, yes, we know that in the end there is a time where the vacation ends. So this is what they say. You squeeze everything out of this life, no matter the cost, no matter the fallout, no matter if it violates your values, because this is it. But we as Christians stand up and say no. We as Christians, we as members of the kingdom say, no, leaving is not it. Jesus is going to bring the new heavens and the new earth. This is just the beginning. And then the question was asked to all of us very, very bluntly. Even if you are a Christian, does your life reflect the mentality that this really actually is it? Do you live like this is it? So you've got to do everything now because nothing really better is coming. And Jesus says, if you believe that there is a time coming where this is it and nothing better is coming, then you will spend your life worrying about treasures down here. Jesus says, if you love me more, if your love is growing for me more, then the things of this world, even the good things we are called to enjoy, will not hold you or bind you. You will enjoy them, but they will not own you. See, we're members of the kingdom of God, and we know that the kingdom of God is growing when our love for Jesus, not our love for the new heavens and the new earth, no, our love for Jesus is actually outstripping our love for down here. And this provides the ground, the, the homesickness, the longing, this creates the space where ongoing real renewal and revival and the possibility of awakening can be found. It moves Christians from greed and hoarding to generosity because we really know certain things are going to last and he lasts. Jesus isn't done. He takes another run at the conversation and talks about what many call the trinity of the treasures down here, what we eat, what we drink, what we wear. Now, almost everything we do relates to these three things. As one person said, we spend our lives talking about our bodies, how we feed it, clothe it, warm it, cook for it, refresh it, relax it, entertain it, and titillate it. Isn't that true? But the point is this. If we live life, like really life is just it, then the product of this thinking, the actual natural outcome of that thinking, of that worldview, of that reality is you will be consumed by worry. 
If nothing really grander is coming, if this is it, 80 80 years or 85 years or less, then you have to guard, you have to protect, you have to hold on, you have to defend what you've done and enjoy down here because nothing better is coming. So in the end, the byproduct of living like this is it is that we worry all the time about who we are, what other people think, what we own, what other people own because this is it, the vacation is coming to an end. It was Soren Kierkegaard, the great philosopher, that said, no grand inquisitor has in his readiness such terrible tortures other than worry and anxiety. Now, Jesus is not talking about good worry here, by the way. This passage has been terribly preached many times. This is not saying you can't think about things. This isn't saying you can't plan. This isn't saying you can't save. This isn't saying you can't be wise and think about pitfalls or, or even at points deal with safety. No, no. See, what Jesus is talking about is something else. His coming command not to worry is directly connected to his teaching on treasure. It's not talking about mental illness. It's not talking about, no, no. It's talking about a preoccupation about treasure. If you live your life like this is it, if you believe that the good things, great things, or evil things down here take you over, if they fully engross you, absorb you, control you, dominate you, then you will always end up worrying. Now, Jesus is going to come and say, now, don't worry. God actually is in control. God is going to provide for you. God will sustain you. God is going to give you life in the now and a greater life in the coming, not yet. I am going to make all things new, he says. But as one wrote, Jesus is talking about a different type of worry. This is the anxious endeavor to secure one's needs. This is about fear having more power than faith. This is about the temporal having more sway than the eternal. This is about our physical wants and needs becoming so intense that our God-given, Jesus-centered, Holy Spirit-inspired homesickness is threatened. So here are the words, the verses that many of you have grown up with if you've done church for a while. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, therefore, since I just talked to you about treasure, in light of that, only that, do not worry about your life, What you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more more than clothes. It was Bishop Ryle, the famous Anglican bishop hundreds of years ago that preached, do not be over careful or over anxious. Prudent provision for the future is right. Wearing, corroding, self-tormenting anxiety is wrong. Now let's not forget that to be free of this type of worry To be not controlled by this type of worry is not the same as being free not to work or having no responsibility. Also, this is not the same as being free from trouble, hardship, or pain. There is no escapism in our movement. Can I just say that? There is no escapism in the Christian movement. Our symbol is a what? A cross. We don't go above pain like nirvana and avoid it, and we don't go under it and escape from it. We walk right through this life, but we walk through this life with the king of the kingdom who gives us hope. Our lives are are lived in a broken world. Our world is marred by sin, run by the demonic. It's deeply worldly, and Jesus promised us. Here's the promise no one claims in their devotions. You will have many troubles, right? Jesus, you will have many troubles, 
But as we walk through this life, we do not, we must not be marked by worry. That is having all our lives securing and holding on to and worrying about what really is going to pass away in the end. So Jesus says, just stop. Put your device down. Stop and look. Let me show you what I mean, he says. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus says, you see that goose over there, that Canadian goose, pooping everywhere on our lawns? No hypertension, doesn't have it. See that sparrow over there? See that robin? Yep. No stress-based diseases at all. They have no self-worth issue. Do you see that bird? They don't care what the other bird thinks about them on Facebook. They don't care. See, catch this. They're not lazy. Birds are not lazy or inactive. Actually, they work unbelievably hard. But don't miss Jesus' point. Of course birds die. Of course birds are eaten. Of course, well, we eat them. Of course birds die of starvation. This is an illustration. Jesus is saying, if God loves his lower creation and provides for them like that, why would you, as a member of the kingdom of God, believe you're less valuable than the robin you saw yesterday? Why does your world, you say, you're less than that? Said the robin to the sparrow, I really should like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. But you, do you notice? Birds don't really have a heavenly father, but we who are part of the kingdom of God actually have a heavenly father. And you notice the intensity of this statement. This is saying that God's focus is on you individually, not just as a people. God looks towards you at this moment. God values you at this moment. You are more valuable than anything else in all of creation. You are more valuable if he's providing for birds. Don't you really think he's going to provide for you because he loves you? Jesus says, can any one of you, by worrying, at a single hour to your life? Do you think maybe that's a verse for everyone in our culture? Can any one of you, by worrying, at an single hour, can, can you, no matter how much you worry, can it make you an inch taller? Can it gain you time? Can worrying actually resolve your history? Can it help you grow? Can it add to the quality of your life? Is the very center of your life supposedly is your love for Jesus, his love for you, that you're a member of the kingdom of God? Is your faith ever built up or strengthened by worry? Actually, no, never. Worry always leads you away from faith. Worry leads you away from freedom. Worry, this type of worry, leads you to bow down, to kiss, and to trust in people, things, and ideas. It leads you to build up treasure down here. It actually leads you back into bondage. Jesus says, just look at yourselves for a moment. Just stop. Slow down. He says, you see the birds over there? Let me use another illustration. Let's talk about flowers. Why do you worry about clothes? No, like this is Jesus, not me. Jesus saying this to us. Why do you worry about clothes so much? See the flowers of the field? As they grow, they don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. See the poppy, the iris, the rose, the lily? They don't work, they don't worry, but they grow into such profound beauty. 
I love how Eugene Peterson translated this. All this time and money wasted on fashion. Do you really think it makes that much of a difference? Like, really? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop, but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women in the whole country look shabby alongside of them. Is it wrong to like, Jesus is saying, understand, you spend almost your whole life worrying about things that go away. They go away. Jesus is saying, who is your provider? Who's going to provide in the now and the coming not yet? God, your good father will provide. Your good father says over you, you are the greatest of value. God wants you to invest in things and last and know your value and not be consumed by things that go away. That is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? There it is again. The emphasis is on us, on you. How greatly valued you are. How much love and concern God actually has individually for you. See, once again, Jesus is actually repeating something that Joanna just talked about, the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Today. Provide for me right now. There's a call for many of us in the kingdom of God to slow down and just start living for today. Not bound by yesterday and not obsessing about tomorrow. Lord, your will and provision for today and nothing else. God, I ask for my basic needs. Clothing, shelter, life issues, godliness. You know what I'm going to face today. See, this prayer and Jesus' teaching on worry so simply again confronts the idea that we are called to be the masters of our own destiny. That we are called to deal with our life ourself, to hold on to our life ourself, to deal with family or or business or church by myself. No, no, Jesus says self-trust and self-sufficiency has no room in the kingdom of God. You are called to trust in God the Father, and this calls for utter dependence on Him for salvation, life, godliness, clothing, food, shelter, everything. There's something even more powerful here, here this morning. This teaching also undercuts the lie in our culture that people are more valuable or less valuable or better or worse, lesser or more, based on the clothing they wear, based on the education or the home or the athletic prowess or the success they have in business or in the academic world. See, let me say this this morning with strength. Human beings are wholly, fully, and exclusively valuable because they're made in the image of God, period. Period. And Jesus comes along and says, why are you worrying about all this stuff when not only you're made in the image of God, which defines your value, but you have been saved through me, Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ has introduced you to God as Abba, Daddy, Father, and so now what happens? You have the greatest value. Is that not enough for your self-worth? Now, if you're growing more and more uncomfortable as I'm speaking, and maybe you can't put your finger on it, well, let me try to help you. Jesus last week and this week has basically declared that two of the ultimate values of our culture are outright lies. The first one Jesus says is this, the belief that this life is it is a lie. And the whole product that comes from living like this life is it is a lie. And then the second thing Jesus has said, which is also very, very, very rebellious in a great way is this. Jesus is saying, God really cares for you personally. Now, lots of us go, yeah, 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 I know that. And he goes, no, no. 
No, you intellectually, you as a Christian, many of us, we intellectually or verbally give assent. Yes, yes, God cares for me. Yes, he loves me. Yes, he's involved in my life. But really, we're Christian atheists. We don't believe that. Really, actually, many people in the church are deists, not Christians. Deism is a philosophic idea where God sort of wound up a clock called the universe and called life and set all these rules into motion, all these scientific laws and sagged up and I'm sort of out now and walked away. He doesn't care about the clock anymore. So God is actually unconnected, unrelational, uninvolved, impersonal and distant. But Jesus presumes not a closed universe with a Christian title over it. No, no. He believes in a controlled universe. God is, yes, above his creation, yet God is not his creation. God is involved in his creation. Why? Because he loves his creation. See, he's above yet involved. He is designer. He is artist. He is caregiver. He is sustainer. He is dad. Jesus says, do you see my father's ongoing care and design in nature? Will you who are made in the image of God, and actually since you know him fully through Jesus Christ, how much more does he care for you? My father is actually involved in caring for you right now. Do you see it? Do you believe it? Or are you blinded perpetually by your constant drive to invest, worry about, buy in, and hold on to things that are fleeting? Jesus says, so do not worry. Saying, well, what are we going to eat? Or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For pagans, they run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. I've read this many times, but I never understood the power of it until I read something this week. Listen to what one historian says about these words and why it matters when Jesus said it. Jesus' words, he says, are not just rhetorical. For him, the pagans actually were Romans who were found just north of Nazareth, living in Sephoris, where wine, women, song, theater, and opulence was a way of life. Hashtag Toronto, right? Or Tiberius. Now, I didn't know this. Tiberius, which was a Roman enclave, was actually seen from the very spot where Jesus was preaching. So when Jesus was teaching on this, literally hundreds or thousands, whoever there, when he was teaching, he could have done this. See Tiberius over there? You know what happens in that city over there, right? The Romans are over there. See that? That's not us anymore. That's not us anymore. We not like them. We don't just reject their ideas. We actually know that our God loves us, is involved, and cares for us. Now, Jesus's words have lost no power. The pagan world of Jesus's day is the, is the life we are living at this moment It is Durham right now. It is segments of this church. It is absolutely Toronto. It really is the West. Our culture lives for the now. They give lip service to what may come, but most of us live for the now. We are fully obsessed, engrossed in things, money, material comforts, relationships, clothing, food, drink, and none of those things are wrong, but when they are the preoccupation of life, not an occupation of life, it becomes idolatry. The world's actions and thinking really shows that they're actually about the now, and they seek material things now. They overestimate the time they have now. They actually overestimate the value of where they spend their time and life and their treasure. And actually, our culture over-signifies their own significance. Jesus says, this isn't it. This is not the be-all and end-all. You know that, right? Let me say it this way. If our worry 
looks the same as our neighbor and is over the same things as our pagan neighbor, then we have the value of paganism and not Christianity. D.A. Carson said this, the follower of Jesus will be concerned to have a distinctive lifestyle, one that is characterized by values and perspectives so unpagan that his or her life and conduct are, well, as it were, stamped all over with the words, made in the kingdom of God. When I say products to you, you automatically have things go in your mind. When I say Apple or IBM, something happens in your head. Hopefully it's Apple, but you know what I mean right? Or iPhone or, or Blackberry. Or if I say Applebee's in the keg. See, when I say brands to you, immediately what you start doing is categorizing them. What's better? What's worse? What do I like? What do I not like? What do they provide? What do they not provide? See, uh, brands in our culture tell us certain things. It makes tribes of us. Now, here's the amazing thing. He is saying, Jesus is saying, your brand, the stamp over your normal, boring life, should be kingdom of God. It should be so distinctive that when I say Christian, people go, oh, that's that person, that's you. See, Jesus says, you know that the kingdom of God is really invading your thinking and your life when worry is different in you than everyone else. Can you imagine? Like, let me just say this. In the 4th century, Christians were known for loving the poor in ways that shocked even the Roman emperors. And we're still known for that today. But can you imagine in our culture, if the church stopped worrying like the world, you think people would watch us? Worry is the biggest cancer in our society. Yet we're commanded and invited into a non-life of worry over material things. Jesus, in the middle of money and treasures and worry, just says one line. This one verse is the summary of the whole Sermon on the Mount. This one verse is the bedrock, the foundation. It's the summary of Jesus' whole teaching for a normal Christian life. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. If you break out in a round or a song, I'm going to hurt you. Please don't do that. Some of you grown church know exactly what I'm talking about. Don't do it, please. Okay. Now, we've said this a lot, but let me just break down this verse for a few minutes. Ready? Seek. We say that quickly. Listen to the power of this word. Look for, hunt, search, long for, linger in, be consumed by, be inspired by, be addicted to, be enthusiastic about, be devoted. Jesus says, seek. And he says, whatever I'm about to tell you, this matters. Like all that. And then he says, first. Whatever he's about to say has to be primary. Has to be the initial thing. The original thing. It has to be your opening. It has to be foremost. It has to be the earliest thing. The chief thing. The fundamental thing. The number one thing. So what is it? Seek first what? The kingdom of God. Seek first any space or place where the reign and rule of God is welcomed, embraced, and accepted through the person and ongoing work of Jesus. Without Jesus, the kingdom is never found. You can never separate the king from the presence of the kingdom. The kingdom is total gift. It's free, but it's total demand. It consumes you. It is the loving reign and rule of God in our life. It's the reign and rule of God in your home, in your marriage, in your family, how you use your money, in your view of sex and sexuality, in tax returns, in lifestyle, in citizenship, fill in the blank. It is saying, God, I want what's coming in the new heavens and the new earth to be found now in me. Seek first the kingdom of God, 
And then he says, and his righteousness. What is this talking about? This is not talking about your right standing, justification before God. No, that's accomplished. This is actually saying, oh God, I actually want to look like the Sermon on the Mount. I want to hunger and thirst after righteousness. An old Scottish Christian said this, oh God, make me just as holy as a pardoned sinner can be. That's what the cry is here. This simple call for Jesus is this. Do not look like your pagan neighbor. Give God first place in your life and do everything he wants. As a member of God's kingdom, you must be fundamentally different from your non-Christian family and friends who are great people. You not only have to be fundamentally different, you have to keep on retaining your Christian distinctiveness. And how do you do this? Well, you do not do this by conforming to the culture so you're no different. And you do not do it by withdrawing from the culture and pretending that's a bad, evil world and we have nothing to do with it. No, no. Jesus says, live out the Sermon on the Mount in the middle of your home, in the middle of your school, in the middle of your city, in the middle of your neighborhoods. Live it out in the middle of your family. Live out righteousness in everyday broken life. Seek first the kingdom, which really means seek first God himself, and then have God conform you to what he is about. Because if you do those things, you will not be as concerned about fleeting things. So Jesus says, therefore, because I just said all that, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about it. But Jesus, I've got it in my times. No, no, stop. But what about my five-year strategic? No, shh. Don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Anyone want to say amen to that? Right? I love when I read something this week where someone says, don't borrow trouble. Stop borrowing trouble. George MacDonald wrote this so long ago, no man ever sank under the burden of one day. It is when tomorrow's burden is added to today's burden, the weight is more than anyone can bear. Daily bread, daily provision, daily help, daily deliverance, daily hope, daily love by a good dad. Do you believe it? Jesus comes along and says, look, this world is really messed up. It's been for a long time. If you think it's getting worse, just read history. It's been pretty bad for a while. Yet, in the middle of that, you got to know me. And in the middle of that, I've promised that the new heavens and the new earth are coming where all things are going to be restored as right. He says, in the meantime, you're now part of the kingdom come. And your responsibility and invitation and the freedom I offer you is this. Number one, you get to seek first the kingdom of God. You get to know God as Father. And you get to know 100% He's going to provide for you. Seek first His kingdom. Then He says, avoid all consuming worry about everything that's going to pass down here. Now, I can't outline for you what this looks like. Because it's different for every one of us. But let's take an inventory. How much time do we really worry about things that don't matter? See, I'm balding. Everyone see that? <laughs> Does it really matter? No, because in eternity, I'm going to have the most amazing locks. <laughs> who cares? No, who cares? Like, who cares? Who cares? Like, 
We are so consumed by things that are going away. Some of you are getting older. And you're going through health things I don't understand yet. But you tell me I'm going to happen. So it's okay. But what's the truth? The truth is, Jesus' resurrection is true. And there is a time coming where there will be no more pain, dying, disease, or death. That's true. Right? But our culture says, well, hold on. Hold on. Because this isn't it. Who cares if you shop at Banana Republic or not? Who cares? It's not going to be there in the end. Enjoy it, but it's not going. Who cares how many social media follower people? Like, really? This is the conversation on Judgment Day, but Jesus, 2,000 Facebook followers. No. Jesus says, stop being consumed. It's okay to enjoy. Don't be consumed about things that are going to be, listen, be like a bird. Enjoy life. Eat, live life. You know, it's interesting that Jesus promises that God will provide for us. But do you notice what he says? He says that he'll provide the essentials, not luxuries. Well, Jesus, I'm sorry. Um, That's not the house I asked for. You know, right? Like, and he's like, no, no, I promised a roof for you. Yes, I, I know, but what about the 15th bathroom? No, no, not in the deal. Well, Lord, this is only water. I really wanted something from Southern California. Yeah, I'm sorry. See, the other thing we need to wrestle with is provision versus luxury. The truth is, because we all live it here, and we talked about this last week, all of us have luxury in our life en masse. He says, you know what? God's with you. He loves you. He's going to provide for you. You don't need to be consumed by worry. Let's just be honest about things that are going away. And there's one exception. There's one exception that Jesus doesn't address here, but he addresses later, and it's this. Some people are going to die for their faith. Some people are going to be starved for their faith, suffer for God, be beheaded. They're going to be martyred. That's not what Jesus is addressing here. Because in those moments, by the way, of worst things, the resurrection is still promised as true. Jesus comes along and says, are you any different when it comes to treasure and worry? Because if you're not, it's just not a value thing. My kingdom and my freedom I offer you has not been embraced yet. One person wrote, worry is forbidden to us as Christians. This type of worry. It is incompatible with the Christian faith. This is not said out of judgment. This is said freedom. All I can ask you to do this week is this, is in your connect groups as you talk through this in community and also as you wrestle through the questions and you spend time with Jesus, would you just ask him to really point out where you worry? Like really ask him, say, Lord, I need to understand where this thing destroys me. And then begin to go back to the scriptures and say, Is it lasting or not? Is it real or not? Is it worth it or not? What are you saying to me? Because much of our life is consumed by worry. And Jesus says much of our time is consumed by things that are going away. We just don't believe Jesus yet. So let me pray for us that we understand what he's saying right and not misunderstand also. So Lord, there's a lot in the room going on right now because Some of us, I mean, have serious anxiety connected to medical stuff. Others of us are completely oblivious. Others of us feel uncomfortable. Like, my request, Jesus, is this. 
you connected worry to things that were passing away. I, I would ask, Lord, for the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God, to grow in the area of treasure and money in this church. Where our stuff and our relationships and our things are held loosely while we enjoy them, knowing they could be taken, but actually realizing they're fleeting too. I really pray, Lord, among us at this moment, that worry would begin to start getting ripped out of our church, like poison out of a wound, start sucking it out. And I'm just asking you personally to do this, Jesus, because I, I can't speak into every particular situation. But, but Lord, I'm asking you, confront worry and set us free. I, I pray somehow, Lord, in, in a very middle-class experience in the suburbs of Toronto, our church could look different. So, Lord, um, lovingly rebuke and confront. Give people this week in their busyness eyes to see birds for the first time in a long time, or flowers, or trees, or just things that remind us. The last thing I just want to say as I end is this over you, as one of your pastors, I remind you today in the midst of a very dark, brutal, scary world sometimes, that not only is God in control, but you are valuable to God. You are deeply valuable. Hear that today, because I can say that because the scriptures say that it's true. So why don't we now stand together and respond and celebrate the promise that we do not need to be consumed by worry. 